Welcome to the Big Texas Podcast presented by Texas Young Republicans. I am your host, Jordan Overturf, bringing to you the very first episode of the Big Texas Podcast, what we hope will become the premier political podcast in Texas for young Texans, Texans of all ages, really, to learn about the candidates who are going to be vying for their votes up and down the ballot. Uh, Before we get to our first guest, I got a little bit of housekeeping I want to do first. If you are a young Texan looking to get involved in 2020, what I'm going to need you to do is go to texasyr.gop. You can find our website and right there on the homepage, you're going to look for the find a club link. This is going to be a great way for you to get involved locally, find out how you can connect with local candidates, find out about local forums coming up, find out about uh, when you can go block walking, phone baking, anything uh, that you can do to get involved this election cycle. This is going to be your first stop. Again, texasyr.gop. Click that find a club link or maybe you don't have a young Republican chapter in your county. That's that's great. We got great news for you. You can also click the start a club link. That's where you're going to find out all the details about how to get a young Republican chapter started in your area. If there is one, uh, not in your County, I, I urge you to get involved, get some friends together who are like-minded individuals who want to make sure that we, uh, we keep Texas red in 2020, get yourself all the information again, texasyr.gop. Click that start a club section. Now, if you're listening to this, you probably already know that 2020 is going to be a very important election cycle for many reasons. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't begin to list them because we'd be here forever and we wouldn't get to our guests. So what you'll want to do is make sure while you're at the website, go ahead and scribe, subscribe, subscribe to our e-newsletter uh, where you can get the latest updates on statewide deployments for block walking, again, phone banking, all the information we're going to have about opportunities to get involved with the candidates. This includes within the party or state uh, party chair candidates. we got some important events going to be coming up in the next couple months and you do not want to miss those. And if you don't go the email train, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, Texas YRs, you are really easy to find Texas young Republicans. And lastly, I got to give a plug for the podcast, right? You're listening. You want to know when the next episode's coming out. You can subscri- subscribe. Well, I'm having trouble with that word today. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. If we don't have them, let us know and uh, we will do our best to get it put on that platform as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at Big Texas Podcast. We'll be using the Texas YR Facebook to uh, primarily promote on Facebook. But if you want some individual info uh, on the podcast, again, Twitter and Instagram, at Big Texas Podcast. Now, for my very first guest, his name is Louis LaRota. He is a rising young Republican in the Houston area running for House District 148 to be the first state representative Uh, Republican for this district, I believe. I'd have to do a little bit more digging on it, but uh, it has been a Democrat stronghold for quite some time. Um, And I had a great chat with Louie about, you know, growing up in this district, you know, I grew up in West Houston, so uh, I'm a little familiar with the area, but it was great to hear from someone who spent most of his life um, living in this district until, you know, his call to public service Uh, took him to the Navy. And you'll learn more about that in this first episode. So um, again, we're so appreciative of Louie getting the chance to join us right before Christmas for this chat. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Louie LaRota.
about your background in history and uh you're kind of like I am a first generation Texan with that additional twist of being a first generation American, you know, kind of a heck of a time uh, to be getting into politics, right? Sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that would say that there's a lot of new Americans and a lot of new Texans actually flooding into the state. So it's actually a great time to make a stand and make a message that everybody can resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in talking to your family about this, you know, uh, were they shocked or surprised that you, you know, you took this leap? I think they were only shocked and surprised I waited so long because I'd been involved since 2011 when I came back to Texas. And some shape, way, shape, or form, I was doing work with the party, uh, advancing issues, and trying to advance candidates. But it was just a natural progression of what needed to happen. Okay. So uh, you're originally from this area, right? Right. So just north of here uh, in the north side district, that's where my parents originally immigrated to. My dad came from Colombia. He was an offshore oil rig worker. And my mom uh, was from Honduras, and she worked in banking, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So they actually moved to this district. I remember this district very well because my mom's family was there. My dad had a lot of family there. So it was a strong community. Mm -hmm. And um, coincidentally, uh, after our you know, the way life works out, I ended up getting a job down here in Houston and I'm back in the district. There you go. Uh, so uh, about what time was that when they, when they moved here? Probably late seventies. Okay. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, pre eighties, big mm -hmm. oil boom and things like that. Right. right exactly. So you kind of got to grow up with the, you know, the new age of Houston. Yeah. I like to say we're one of these early, uh, what the Zennials, the Star Trek revolution, uh, Star Wars, pardon me. So, uh, we grew up during that period of time. So we knew what it was like to actually ride your bike without a helmet. We knew what it was like to not have the internet and to see it come about and to see the cell phone revolution. So it was a good time to see both perspectives. So, you know, when you were a kid, you know, what, what was this district or this area like? You know, what are some of the things you remember most? It was a lot of diversity. So it was a lot of kids of every racial tone that I could remember. I had friends. Um, there was also a lot of problems in the district, just like there are today. There was still a lot of crime. There, the schools weren't doing very well. And people were having a hard time just with upward mobility. So that hadn't changed. And, uh, but generally speaking, the community is very close-knit. There you go. Uh, and so, you know, growing up, what was it? How do you get from Houston to the Navy? Was it being this close to the ship channel or you just wanted to travel? Like what uh, what caused you to enlist? Well, it's kind of a little bit of a family tradition, I guess, because uh, my mom's family, we had people that joined the Army, fought in Vietnam. And then uh, closer to me, my sister joined the Marine Corps. My cousin joined the Marine Corps. So we were all just kind of following the footsteps of the people in our family. And it just felt like the right thing to do. This country has done so many great things for immigrants and in our family in particular, that what better way to pay it for than to, you know, be the, the four deployed forces of the United States military. And, uh, the Navy jumped out to me because, um, at first I was really dead set on joining the Marine Corps and following that tradition. But, yeah. um, Something told me that uh, I needed to, to do something differently. I did want to travel, but I also wanted to get an education out of it. And the Navy had some interesting energy programs, and that's something that I've been really interested in since junior high. So nuclear power was the option that they offered me, and it was fantastic training, uh, very difficult. But that was my taste, and um, getting into the Navy was uh, kind of like the launching pad for everything that I've done since. And uh, you got your degree while you were in the Navy, right? Right. So the Navy does, and a lot of military guys don't take advantage of this, but we're at, when you're actually 
in the service, you can take advantage of a 70% tuition uh, uh, reimbursement. So, okay. And um, so while I was out to sea, I did most of my undergrad. I had already done some college when I was in high school. And then uh, just finishing my degree was kind of like at the top of my list because I wanted to make sure I got that done so I could use my GI Bill to go to law school or go to an MBA. I had my sights set a little bit higher. So the military was a fantastic opportunity to do that. Yeah. And you served during uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, correct? Right. Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. So okay. both of those conflicts kind of overlapped. Mm -hmm. uh, when we deployed, we were out there for about eight months, I believe almost nine. There were about four other aircraft carriers in the region. So it was a very intense time. We were uh, firing off a lot of uh, planes and we were just enforcing the no-fly zone to the south and mm -hmm. as the Air Force was coming in from the north and fly, uh, enforcing the no-fly zone up there. So it was a very uh, tense time and uh, of course, you know, nobody wants to go out to war. And uh, but after what had happened in 2011 or it was, uh, well, 2000, uh, the 9-11 rather um, mm -hmm. attacks were, were pretty devastating. We had been stationed in Virginia at that time. But as soon as that event happened, we were taken around South America and then we were immediately deployed to the area. Wow. So you were in the service when 9-11 happened. Right. I remember being on the ship. And because, you know, they have televisions, you know, in, in different lounges. And as I'm walking through them, um, I could I remember seeing uh, a news flash of a plane uh, striking a building. And I thought, that's that's deliberate. That was my first thought. And then when the second one hit, I knew it was, it was for sure. And it was a really sad time. Mm -hmm. And everybody remembers where they were. But uh, I was on the ship in Virginia. I remember that. Wow. And so, you know, thank God you came back uh, and made every opportunity possible. Um, you know, you talked about having a job bring you back here to Houston, kind of. What was that transition like? It wasn't easy, actually. Um, and this is something that surprised me because most military veterans that get out of the service have a hard time getting reintegrated. And a person of my background, uh, I thought I'd have a natural shoe into a lot of jobs here in Houston. Mm -hmm. Could have been that it was... Um, kind of an election year and people weren't hiring, but it was difficult. And uh, my background was not was probably too specialized to get into the oil and gas sector. And there's not really a nuclear power industry in Houston. Yeah. So I struggled to find my place. I actually had to work my way up. I did a lot of, uh, I did some construction jobs. Uh, I did a lot of things here, you know, just to earn money to, to stay ahead. And eventually, you know, I got a great opportunity with the company and that led to another opportunity with the company. And then I was able to land on my feet again. And at heart, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I've been able to save money, start investing again, kind of uh, get back to where I was before I, I left California. Well, now you've got this amazing opportunity, you know, running in this race for House District 148, um, you know, long history being represented by Democrats. But, uh, you know, it seems like you offer uh, a unique perspective, having grown up here, having been raised by this community. Uh, you know, now that you're back here, uh, what are some of your goals uh, as state representative? So we need to fight poverty because poverty has been the number one issue of this district. A lot of the solutions that my Democratic opponents were putting forth were lofty. They were idealistic, but they had no real merit because there was no I, there was no plan to, to offset spending or how these programs would be funded. And of course, that's how they think. But I, I'd like to tell people in the community that, you know, taxation is regressive and it's regressive upon the most vulnerable people in the community. So people that are trying to get out of poverty are the first ones to feel that brunt. So I always emphasize that what have the Democrats done in the last 25 years that have made this community so much better? 
And there's nothing very quantifiable about their progress. So people in the community are taking note and they're noticing that, you know, maybe they're being taken for granted. And they are looking to Republicans because we share a lot of the same values. Um, and my message in particular is we need to restrain government because a lot of the people that come to this district are Hispanic, Latinos, and their countries, their native countries, are uh, fell into this, uh, you know, cesspool of corruption. And I remind them, you know, if you think politicians are corrupt, why would you want more of them? Because that's what Democrats want. They mm -hmm. want to grow the scope of government. Yeah. Republicans want to limit that and thereby limiting their corruption. That seems to resonate well with people. And if we can do that, we can put money back in people's pockets. We can uh, help the community in organic ways. Um, there's a lot of issues in the community that people have risen up and taken uh, leadership roles in that the city never did. Yeah. And that's something that people in my district notice very intently with their elected representatives, that they weren't meeting the mark. They weren't actually walking the talk. So that... Um, lack of uh, consistency is going to be their weak point in this campaign. Well, and it seems like that obviously hit home with voters. I mean, you're here in the runoff, uh, you know, and looking at all these specials, you know, you uh, over in 28, we got another contested runoff, you know, uh, but up in Dallas, you know, no Republican could rise to the top here. So, you know, as you go forward, what are you hearing? I mean, I know you're out there, you're block walking a lot, phone banking, like I see your activity. So you're, you're not resting on your laurels. So what are some of the other things that you're hearing from constituents when you're knocking on the door? Basically that they haven't seen anybody in a really long time was the first thing I've heard. They were surprised that anybody even came up to their door, uh, let alone a Republican. So that, that means to me that Democrats are very much out of touch with their community. Uh, secondly, uh, they're being pushed out of their neighborhoods. Uh, the taxation for families that, that are trying to get ahead is becoming to a point where it's untenable and they can't maintain their current situation. So we're pushing families out. They're feeling the, the, the brunt there. And small businesses are in the same kind of sphere because um, this district hasn't needed much help from the city. They never got it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And these business owners have found ways to survive and they upheld the community. Well, now that property values are going up, it seems like the city would prefer to take these owners and move them out so they can bulldoze the land and put something else of higher value, thereby create more revenue for the city. And it amounts to harassment. A lot of business owners in this area have said that they felt like the city all of a sudden took a, a very keen interest in their, uh, their property and they started finding them and code violations that they'd never seen before. Yeah. They started enforcing things that had never been enforced before. So that to me tells me that the city is actually trying to push these folks out. Mm -hmm. And that's a grave injustice because the representative officials of this district were put in place to make sure that these people could get ahead in life. Instead, they're helping people in city hall or local government enrich themselves at our expense. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Well, and I went to University of Houston and, you know, it's been over 10 years since then, but uh -oh. I, <laughs> I, I, could easily say that I probably spent more time on this stretch of I-10 than I right. did in class. So I, I mean, I noticed the development around here and it's sure. not the same mom and pop places that used to, you know, be kind of the face of this side of Houston. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are, what are some of the other areas where, you know, these, these constituents are looking for action. You know, uh, I imagine that as you have these conversations, you'll hear new topics brought up. So, I mean, what are some of the, what's something that's, I guess, shocked you uh, when you've gone to the door and talked to a constituent and they said, you know, this is an issue I'd like to see 
someone take on? So the district's a little bit different from one point to the next, but I'll, I'll touch your, your, your point first. Uh, the most interesting thing that has been brought up was human trafficking because recently we uh, had found out that one of the community members had suffered a, a human trafficking incident where a young girl who was 13 oh was abducted and trafficked. Um, the community uh, came out in full force, um, and it was the community that actually found the girl. It wasn't the police. The police kind of dropped the ball on this one, and um, the community was at a, in an uproar. A couple years go by, and uh, the young girl really couldn't take the burden of what had happened. She takes her own life tragically. Oh, my gosh. And the godmother, who happens to be a prominent community activist, small business owner, said enough is enough. And she said, if the police won't cover this, uh, you know, the way they're supposed to, then I'll put it out to the media. And she's been working very hard with several other nonprofit organizations here in the Houston area to, you know, really cast a light on human trafficking. And uh, that's been um, a sad reality of, our, of this part of the district in the North Line area, because we found out that kids that were in high school were being recruited uh, to, you know, go seek these employment opportunities after school and their parents, you know, maybe not thinking much or maybe not taking note of what was going on, uh, later find out that their kids have disappeared. And, um, the first thing that, you know, the police officers are going to say like, Oh, it's a runaway. Have you thought of how you would do things a little bit more differently or, you know, uh, is this community up effort kind of what we need more across Texas? It's definitely gotta be a community up effort. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're seeing that now where uh, the community is mandating, demanding that the schools actually have educational programs so that the students know what the signs are of human trafficking. Because that's the biggest problem. If we don't know what the signs are, we won't be able to identify who's at risk or who's a victim. So that's step one. At the state legislature, what we can do is stop criminalizing kids who have been sold into prostitution because they're being tried as prostitutes. And uh, I think... TPPF put out a, a pretty good statement on how that should be handled and mm -hmm. we could support something like that. Little by little, we can decriminalize people who have been the victims of human trafficking. And then through, just like anything else, it's gotta be a cultural movement. So people in the community have to be the ones to take up responsibility. Because if we wait around for government to solve problems, well, you know where that leads. Yeah, yeah. And so now, it's so strange because this is an issue that like more and uh, more and more Republicans are coming over to the criminal justice reform side of things, right? Like mm -hmm. this is a big issue that certainly Texas YRs is taking up on, on its, uh, on its platform. Uh, do you see more room for us kind of adjusting the way we penalize and, and enforce across the board? Uh, you know, where does criminal justice reform rank in terms of, you know, your importance of priorities? It's high because people in the district that I'm talking about, not here in the near heights, because that's kind of a different demographic. Yeah. But people in the Hispanic neighborhoods who have been victims of, uh, you know, criminal justice system, those people deserve a second chance because there are people that are reformed. And the purpose of the criminal justice system isn't just to penalize people, it's to bring them back into the community and reintegrate them. So I think there's a lot to be said there. There's obviously, uh, you know, efforts to, um, get people's records stricken who have nonviolent offenses, uh, low-level cannabis uh, offenders, for example. That's an easy one and one I think that most people can agree with. So there's a lot of room for improvement, um, and it starts with people in the district speaking up and saying, you know, we want this change to happen, and there are plenty of people in the district 
Unfortunately, my family, we've been, some of my family members have been sucked into the criminal justice system. And it took a long time for them to get out of it. Thankfully, they, you know, they found faith-based organizations and they were able to get through it, but they couldn't get ordinary jobs. I yeah. mean, they had to work tirelessly to get into to some of the work there. One of my cousins, he runs a boxing gym, but I mean, it's totally, you know, a cash job because there's no other way for him to do it. So we have to be careful of over-criminalizing people. We already have one of the highest incarceration rates of the world, as you probably know. So it's time for us to, to maybe move away from just putting people in cells and maybe treating the problem. Or, you know, how do we re bring these people and rehabilitate them back into our system? Because Houston, right now, I mean, we have jobs galore. We just don't have the people for it. And we're missing skilled laborers. I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. And we have the the candidates, we have the workforce, but if there are restrictions, if there are barriers, like classic government, you know, solutions, then we're not going to get very far. We need to remove these restrictions. We need to make it easier for people to get reintegrated into the, into the community. Otherwise, we're going to be drawn into this whole welfare system of institutionalizing people, you know, through the criminal justice system, and then they're going to be repeat offenders, and it's just going to be a vicious cycle that's been, I think, the story of the criminal justice system probably for the last 40 years. Well, I know you're going to definitely find some advocates uh, when you head down to Austin. Uh, you know, as you get closer to early votings on the 21st of January, so as you get closer to that, uh, you know, what is the thing that is, uh, you know, fueling you, that is keeping you going, that's giving you, you know, the, the energy you need to know that you could bring home this victory? We need the victory. And it's been the same thing that's been fueling me ever since I've gotten closer to politics here in Houston. And it's that our values aren't being represented. We are being sucker punched left and right by Democrats. And we have no reason why we should be losing races inside the city of Houston. There are people here that understand what we're trying to say. They agree with where we stand on these positions, but we haven't had candidates to fight in these battles. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that may be that I won't get into, but we haven't had the people, we haven't had the support, we haven't had the right message. So this race is an opportunity to set an example across Texas. If we can take this fight in the home of a Democratic district and take a win in a special election, we have a much stronger chance of keeping the seat in November. And to me, it's evident just based upon what we saw from the uh, election day results that people are a little tired of voting for the same old, same old. And they're ready for a new voice. And if Democrats are going to sit on their heels and think that this is going to be an easy district for them, I think we need to deliver the punch and we need to be on the attack. We just can't play defense across the board and hope that, you know, our values will survive. They won't. We're under attack. And as uh, Beto O'Rourke properly stated, he's out there trying to flip nine seats. Mm -hmm. They know what's at stake. Yeah. Do we? So I think it's time for us. And leadership is like that. If you look around and there's nobody leading. I mean, that's the clear sign that it needs to be you. And that's the approach that I took. And it's the approach that I took with the Republican Liberty Caucus that if we can find the right people, we should encourage them, we should empower them, we should fund them, we should get them in these races because there's no reason these races should go uncontested. And Absolutely. this is a big message to the YRs too because look what's happening across the aisle. Younger and younger people are being elected into office. Those should be our people. Mm -hmm. We're our people. So I want to inspire people in the young Republicans to get involved at a really tangible level. And it's a very winnable thing, but we have to try and we have to work. And it may not work the first time, but it's gonna take two or three times. But you know what? Eventually you'll start eroding away at the support and people will start seeing through the facade. 
and people will align with us. But it starts with door knocking, phone baking, talking to people at their events, showing up. It's something that we're guilty of is we only show up when we want their votes. But if you go to events across the city of Houston, my wife's family, they're from Vietnam, and we'll go to Bel Air where there's a large Asian American community. And every time we go, there are about three booths with Democratic operatives working, mm -hmm. petitions, uh, registering people for census, all sorts of activities. So I'm afraid that if we don't take the initiative and bring our values to the forefront, they'll get lost in the shuffle. And right now, it's way easier to sell people on, we're going to give you free health care, we're going to give you free college. After a while, people start thinking that that's a real re reality that the state of Texas and the United States can provide. And I don't want people succumbing to that because we could be headed down a very dark path. So there's no time. 2020 is going to be critical, yeah. just like every race is. But we have to win these seats. Texas is a linchpin that keeps it all together, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Harris County is a vital part of that. So why not the city of Houston? Why not us? Why not now? I say it is the time, and I say this is the race. And that's why I encourage people to jump in. Unfortunately, you know, there aren't a lot of people that I know that live in this district that are involved in politics, but there's a lot of people around the city of Houston that are. So mm -hmm. I tell them, like, let's get in these neighborhoods. You'd be surprised how receptive people are once we start talking to them. Yeah. Well, and to that end, you know, you are uh, a younger man. You're still a young Republican, uh, which is why we are coming out in full force support for you. Uh, but what is that message i guess when you are talking to uh to young folks what is the message on why why you're a republican you know and what are what are the things that you're connecting most with them on sure well in my opinion um the greatest injustice that a society can inflict on one another is a government injustice because it takes an insurmountable amount of effort to overcome a government injustice so we have to be careful that we don't create a government that uh, creates victims. And this is something that I, I like to say is that we need to eliminate misguided laws, victimless crimes, so that we don't become victims of the system that's supposed to serve us. And that's why I'm in this race. So we need, we need to stop government dead in its tracks because people have an idea that we can make things better through social engineering, but that's not the way the world works. We've tried that system before and it's failed multiple times. It's still failing. The only model that works is capitalism, free market economics. If you try to engineer a society to be the way that you want it to be or that you wish it would be, society will always collapse under that kind of pressure because it's not moral to obligate people to do things that they're not prepared to do. Mm -hmm. These opportunities have to become something that comes from the community. It has to be something that that creates a sense of responsibility. Otherwise, the whole system falls apart. This is a fragile republic. It's probably the best, uh, it's the only beacon of freedom in the world, I would say. And if we're not careful, we could lose that. And Texas has to be part of that equation. If it's not, we lose the whole country. And I don't know how we can recover from that, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to that end, you know, right now you are out there in force. You are recruiting more and more volunteers every day. Uh, if people, do you have any events coming up where people can uh, come learn more about you in this race for District 148? We just had an event uh, a few days ago. I know we're planning one in early January. I'd have to give you the date. I believe it's January 4th, but I'll have to talk with my, my staff. Um, I think we do have also a, uh, a, a party coming up with a special guest from Austin. And as soon as that person is confirmed, I'll let you know as well. But uh, we expect this to be a very aggressive 
grassroots style campaign. We're not going to do a whole lot of a, uh, the fancy stuff. We're just going to go out there and door knock and talk to people. And that's what I encourage people to do in this district. Uh, a lot of Houstonians have felt that, you know, we've always had to tolerate these Democrats that are in positions of authority or elected responsibility, and we never had a chance to unseat them. But this is an opportunity to unseat them. Uh, one of our precinct chairs of, who has lived here for a long time, and he's been one of the most active volunteers in the Harris County Republican Party, couldn't believe we finally had an opportunity to flip the seat, and he's ecstatic to help him. He's been behind us 100%, and there's just a wide range of support all across the city of Houston. So what we want to do is coalesce the young Republicans with every other conservative voter here in the city of Houston, because if we can deliver on this race, people are going to be inspired, and they're going to see that it is possible and other things can flow from that. But it starts with one person and it starts with one race. And I think this is the race that we have to get in. It's the only game in town for January. We should be focusing our efforts right here, right now. Well, when we put this out, we'll make sure and circle back with you, get details on that January 4th event, as well as some other uh, stuff you got coming up. But uh, uh, for right now, if people want to find you, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Uh, so Facebook's a great uh, place to find us. Lewis LaRud for uh, Texas House District 148. Lewis Lerota for Texas.com, and that's where you'll find our, our phone number, which goes direct, uh, directly to me. Uh, my email's on there as well. Uh, you can donate on the site and find out more opportunities to volunteer. We're, vol we're block walking every weekend until this happens. So we're taking a break here for Christmas and New Year's. I'm not. I'll be block walking. But for a volunteer effort, we're going to be starting at the beginning of the year, and we really don't have that much time. I mean, if you think about it, Early voting starts January 21st, so we've got three weekends. Yeah. And we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we want to hit the ground running. And if we want to make 2020 great, this is a race to get in there. I think this is a great opportunity just to just knock the Democrats right in the mouth. Right yeah. Out, out the gate. Well, and I, I know that there are uh, a ton of Republicans who are out there ready to do that. So, I mean, here's the message to you. If you live in Harris County, uh, even Fort Bend County isn't too far of a drive, uh, you know, Montgomery County get closer. So anyone who's in this area and would love to be a part of this effort, you know, uh, Texas Young Republicans endorse you. You got a pretty impressive list of endorsements, you know, for the, for your first go round. Uh, I saw you got uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw's in there, Governor Abbott, big supporter of yours. Uh, former congressman ron paul uh who all is on that list there's a lot and um so the gun owners i, I believe it's the gun owners of america is on that list so we're strong second amendment supporters um we've got the houston realty business Co coalition uh the c club um there are many others uh texas right to life i believe or texas alliance for life we mm -hmm. just got an endorsement from them um, and we've gotten many more precinct chairs. I think the first thing that I, I cared about when I started this race was getting the precinct chair support because without them, we had nothing. So we have about, I'd say right before even, we, while we had competition in this race, we already had 80% of the precinct chairs uh, endorsing us. So we had the Harris County Republican Party endorse us, in fact, which is completely uh, a total surprise. It was really the precinct chairs that, that called for it, and we were happy to receive that endorsement. So it's... It's just been broad support, and not just from Houston. We've had friends from Dallas, El Paso, San Antonio, Galveston. They've all come out and worked with us, and it's just been an overwhelming amount of support. And, you know, whenever you look in the mirror and, and you ask yourself, why did I decide to run for, for office? Why would you do this to yourself? It's the people behind you that, that give you the power to do this because its strength is, is in numbers. And when we see the people that have stepped up to, to volunteer, to donate, it empowers us to keep pushing forward and 
to know that the fight is real and that it's alive and that people really understand that it takes effort. It's not something that's pleasant to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage somebody to run for office who's not got the stomach to do it because you're going to face some hard times. It, it puts tremendous strain on all aspects of your life, but it's a call to service. It's if you're doing this for the wrong reasons, you'll be discovered. But if you're doing this for the right reasons, you really shouldn't want to run for office. That's the first thing. If you don't want to run for office because you don't want the responsibility, you don't want the power of this, that's probably an indicator that you're a good candidate because people that gravitate to these positions are typically the worst kind of people. And that's the problem that we've had. We need better people with with integrity, with the responsibility and the sense of duty. They're going to do the right thing when it gets tough because there's a lot of things that are going to be thrown at you. And you know, you have to have your support base. So I'm counting on the people that are with us now to stick with us. And, you know, we can ride this thing through for another year and a couple years, and maybe we can drive out more voters. I hope we can discover more candidates and we can make this movement into something that it's been needing, which is the expansion of liberty, the expansion of the protection of life, liberty, freedom, those things that we value, those things that we can get so many other voters involved in that we haven't. So this is the time. This is a great opportunity. And really just, I, I want to thank you for coming down here and interviewing me because I know it's a short time, but the message is important and it's going to resonate with people. And the young Republicans across Texas have been tremendous supporters of, of, you know, of me and my efforts and the organizations that I've been a part of. And this is, I think is where the rubber meets the road. If we think we can win these races inside the city, this is a great example. There are target demographics here that we can hit across the board let's let's put all our strength behind this one and make the democrats hurt in 2020 right away well there you go you heard it right here live from louis larota thank you so much for being on our first podcast we appreciate it uh, and you know we're behind you 100 percent. and uh you know you guys heard it louislarota.com make sure you go there make sure you contribute where you can make sure you get out and block walk it's good calisthenics for the new year especially yeah, all you fitbit uh you know step counters make sure you get out there and earn some extra steps uh, get those resolutions sure uh, after new year's i mean we're gonna need the exercise yeah. and uh and the website is Lewis L U I S Larota L A R O T T A for Texas.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys in 2020 and staying fit and staying active. This is a great one to get involved in. Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks, Rowan. Well, that's it. We did it. Very first episode of the Big Texas Podcast in the can. Do people still say that? Did I just make myself sound really old? Guys, I promise I'm, I'm a young Republican. I just like old-timey sayings, I guess. Uh, thank you to Louie and his wife, Christina, for inviting me to their home right before Christmas. It's such a hectic time, especially with early voting going on. Uh, he was headed out to an event right after the interview, and uh, I know he's planted a block walk all the way through the holidays and uh, make sure he's, he's not losing any momentum. Uh, a reminder, the early voting for that HD-148 special election runoff begins january 21st election day is january 28th you can subscribe to the big texas podcast on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts uh listen to us on the website at texasyr.gop and you can follow us on twitter and instagram or follow texas yrs on facebook um thanks to wally west and then lost bound souls for providing our show music and uh again Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. We look forward to bringing you more candidates as this uh, cycle rolls on. In the meantime, we'll see you down the road.